Okay. We'll go to Mark 11. These are the events of the Holy Week. Events of the Holy Week. According to the Mag version, Mark 11, 12. Now the next day, when they have, and the next day will be today, Monday. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat food from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now in the morning, so this is going to Tuesday now. Okay, so let us uh, um, uh, stop here <laughs> and look and look at these two two events: the cursing of the fig tree. A lot of people have had um, some misgivings about this, particularly the way Mark reported it. Mark said that. Um, it was not the season for fix in verse 13. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. His disciples heard it. So now, you know, you know, in you and I have to have a theology about God. So you have to find justification for this. Now, some theologians tell us that uh, it was still in order, even though it was not the time for figs in the sense that it was not the harvest, but that it was the season when figs produce early flowers that people eat. Okay, so that that fig was barren because it should have, it's like, it's like, um, 
when, if you know mangoes and their breeding seasons, you know, they bring out those, um, 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 is it flowers or whatever they bring out, you know? I've forgotten my botany now. Whatever they bring out, but you see it for the, for the, for the insects to pollinate and, and fertilize so that the mangoes can come out, you know? But you see, if, if a mango tree doesn't have that thing in the early season, then that, there's no way we we'll produce any fruit. It doesn't have those flowers that insects pollinate, you know, there's no way we we'll bear fruit. And that is one explanation. Okay. The second, of course, which is a more valid explanation, is that our Lord Jesus Christ was using it to teach the disciples the power of the spoken word. And, and to, to show us, because um, the lesson is in the next verse, in the next uh, um, section, to show us how powerful words can be. You know, if you notice, you know, let us go to Revelations chapter one. Go to Revelations chapter one. Thomas? Thomas? Revelation chapter one. Is it there? Yes, it's going there. Okay, so, sorry. And in verse 16, he had... Revelation what? Revelation 1.16. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Is the middle one. The two-edged sword is in his mouth and now you know in the passage that we read regularly you know in Revelations 19 um, verse 15 Revelations 19, verse 15. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. The sword is always in the mouth spiritually. You see, physically, the sword is in the hand. But spiritually, the sword is in the mouth. And that's a lesson that the church needs to uh, 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 enter into. And that's why you and I pray all these governance prayers. Because the sword is in the mouth. And, and we must... Correlate that with Ephesians chapter 6. 
The last sword is the, the last weapon there is the sword of the spirit. Okay, which the Bible says is the word of word God. God. So the sword is always in the mouth spiritually. And you and I, we need, you know, we need and take the helmet of salvation, verse 17 says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, in this, uh, um, don't forget things are winding down. We're going to wind them very quickly. And sooner, and, and much sooner, the disciples are going to be on their own. And they need to learn that the sword is in their mouth. Okay? And of course, you know that uh, Peter demonstrated that in Acts chapter 5, when he said to Ananias, uh -uh, why have you decided to lie to the Holy Ghost? And the man fell down dead in Acts chapter 5. And then his wife came and Peter said, please tell me, did you really sell the land for this amount? He said, yes, so we sold it for that amount. So you and your husband, you have conspired to lie to the Holy Ghost. Okay. The feet of those who buried their husband, they will bury you too. No. So, so people began to, we and I must begin to learn uh, uh, um, that the sword of the spirit is in the mouth. And Jesus said in his teaching, which we'll look at tomorrow, that you can use those words to move mountains. If you believe in what you are saying. And that's why it's important. It's important that you and I understand the power of the spoken word. Uh, um, uh, now, that's a scripture. I think it's in James. With the same mouth, you bless. With the same mouth, you curse. Say, so that, that's, what, that's what must not happen. That is what must not happen. You must not. Uh, 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 it is for warfare. It is to, is to dismantle spiritual forces. It is to create open heavens. It is not to curse men or you know, you know, it is important to understand that, you know, it is important. I think that scripture is James 3, 7. Let me see. Um, James 3, 7. Okay. The tongue, yes, it's about the tongue. But six says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles. It defiles um, the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. 
and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature. Oh, no, this is yeah, verse 10. Out of the out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. And so you, you reserve, since you know, since you and I know that um, the, sword, the sword of the spirit is in the mouth, we are careful how we use our mouth. You know, in Genesis, we, we studied the, the, the Laban and Jacob affair. So Laban said to Jacob, why, why, why did you take my gods? Your gods? Anybody you find your gods with in this place, let, that person should not live. Should not live. And unwittingly then, because of those words spoken by just, uh, Jacob, Rachel did not enter Canaan. She did not live to see Canaan. She died on the way to Bethlehem. So, so let us be careful with words. Only use words as the way the Bible has taught us as a weapon of war to clear the way for the purposes of God, to clear the way for the kingdom of God to prosper, to clear the way for righteousness to prevail in a place. Now, the important scripture also there is in verse, not verse 13. Okay, that verse 13. And his disciples heard it. What is the significance of speaking it out? What is the significance of speaking it out? Even in your private prayers, you know, what is the significance? There must be a significance. Because in all these instances we see in the scripture, they didn't whisper it in their heart. Jacob said openly, anybody you find, anybody you find their gods with, that person shouldn't live. Peter spoke openly. Ananias, why are you lying to the Holy Ghost? Spoken word, not, not thought, not, not uh, 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 mumbled thoughts mm -mm, uh, or thoughts in the heart. No. It is the power of a spoken word to move mountains. You know, I've told you before that all these decrees we are making, you know, it is, it is, it is so powerfully effective, but because you are moving a huge object, <laughs> the changes may seem imperceptible, but they're going on, undoubtedly. And if you visit Israel um, and you go through the tunnel by the, by the Wailing Wall, if you go through that tunnel into the city, you will see pockets of Jewish women 
reciting prayers. To go to the world world itself, of course, you will see hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, Jewish men and women reciting prayers, speaking it out. So it's a principle, you know. I remember years ago, you know, the, the Spirit of God said, go to Abuja, you know, collect the sand of the city and say, and we see that in uh, Jeremiah 51. He wrote the judgment on Babylon, gave it to Seraiah, who was accompanying uh, Zedekiah to Babylon in captivity. He said, you see, take these judgments. And when you get to Babylon, read them out. Okay. After you have read them, say, oh, Lord God, Jeremiah 51 is towards the end. You know, these are the judgments. These are the judgments you have declared against this place. It's actually the last. Is the last verses. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, that's it. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Seraiah, the son of Neriah, the son of Maseah, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And Seraiah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book, All the Evil that will come upon Babylon. All these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sarai, when you arrive in Babylon, move up now and and see it. Okay? And Jeremiah said, when you arrive in Babylon and see it, and read all these words, read it, read it into the atmosphere of Babylon. Okay? Then you shall say, oh Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Nine shall be, when you have finished reading this book, that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it out into the Euphrates, the river of Babylon. Then you shall say, thus shall Babylon sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. So, Seraiah went and did this thing. And since that day, Nineveh, Babylon, has remained desolate. It was Saddam Hussein that tried to rebuild Babylon. And now, Saddam Hussein is no more. Because Jeremiah told Seraiah, made this pronouncement, thus this Babylon shall sink and never rise again. And this is uh, over, over two, three, two, three, two and a half thousand years ago. Maybe two, you know, 2,500 years ago. That word is still holding Babylon down. Never to rise again. So our Lord Jesus was trying to teach his disciples 
that the sword of the spirit is in the mouth so that you be careful with your mouth as a, a child of God and use it only in warfare to promote the kingdom of God in the lives of men. Amen. 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 Amen.